Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you, Father, that you have called us out from the world and that you've given us a desire to worship thee and that you've brought us out of darkness into light and that you cast our hopes upon your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you've given us free access to thee through him. And, Father, that we as your children can enter into thy glorious presence unafraid but with full hope and full confidence that you receive us not because we measure up, not because we've done great things for thee, but, Father, because of Christ who has done great things for us and that we can have confidence that you hear us and that you pity us as a father pities his children. And so we come to you with trust, hopefully with a childlike heart, asking you to teach us today from your word. Father, that you would touch us with the presence of your spirit, that you would remove every barrier that would hinder us from listening to you. Father, soften our hearts toward thee. Give us a want to want you. Give us a heart that wants to surrender to you and a heart that causes us to want to surrender to one another. Help us to overlook one another for good. Help us not to major in minor things, Lord, but help us to really be dedicated to the things that are truly important. I ask you for this little congregation, Father, that you would uphold them by your mighty power, that you would encourage them to press on, that, Father, that you would unite their hearts in love as they have one common desire, and that is to do thy will. Help them, Father, in this time of trouble that they've encountered. Help them not to be discouraged. Help them not to be fearful of the storms that surround them. But, oh, Lord, this is the time when faith needs to work the strongest. It's in the midst of trials. It's in the midst of temptations. It's in the midst of pressures. It's in the midst of discouragement. Father, it's through going through the fire that, Father, that you make our faith strong and that you promise to bless us to come out like gold. Father, I just pray that you would give them wisdom and direction from you. May they seek your will and not their own. And, Lord, open up their hearts to where all of them pray together in unity to show us the prayer that asks that you would show them your will and they have a desire to do that. Lord, you are a gracious God. You are able to do more than we even know or comprehend how to ask thee. And Father, you give that to us because you love us. Thank you for the loving care of a loving Father who is incorruptible, who does all things well, who never chastens us except for love and for for the purpose to restore us to right relationships with thee. Father, we thank you for unfailing love, love that we don't deserve, but love nevertheless that is given to us freely, simply out of the goodness of thine own great heart. We bow before you and give you thanks for such wondrous love. And Lord, would you humble our hearts that because of understanding how greatly you love us, bless us to love thee more and more. Bless us to love your kingdom. 
Bless us to strive, Lord, to build it up everywhere we can, in every way that we can. We beg it in God's, in the name of Christ, and for his sake. Amen. I'd like for us to go back to this Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I am now 62 years of age, and for those of you who are out there, that might seem that's of a great age. Because I look at y'all, and most of y'all are still very young, just beginning your life. Some of you are just beginning to make choices as adults in your life. Of those 62 years, 58 of them have been blessed to be part of the kingdom of God. That has been the greatest blessing. I am in my 35th year of pastoring. In those 35 years, I've experienced many things, many great joys, but also I've experienced things that were heartbreaking, trials, discouragement along the way. I want to remind you that that is part of being a follower of Christ. It's not always meant to be easy. It's not always meant to be joyful in many aspects, though our joy is in Him. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But part of the life of the Christian is making difficult choices. But the choices that we make, the reason sometimes they become difficult, because sometimes it's hard for us to surrender our wills to the will of the Master. Sometimes it's hard for us to let go of our agendas in order that the we might really know what the agenda of God is for us. A lot of times when we pray, people aren't seeking the will of God, but they're seeking for God to somehow to accept what they want for themselves, and that doesn't do any good. One of the things that I've known over my years of life, and I'm beginning to see more and more of the importance of that, is found in those verses of Scripture that were read to you. It's that spirit of unity that must prevail among the saints. It's one of the great marks of the New Testament church, of being united. And I just want to go back and look at what Paul is addressing. And we'll go back. And this idea of unity, as it's addressed in the book of Ephesians, in there. First of all, I want you to look at the tender way that Paul is addressing this. Because he comes and he reminds them that I'm the prisoner of the Lord. That, that's a marvelous statement. It was a statement that a lot of people would be embarrassed if they had been incarcerated or they were imprisoned or they had become a prisoner or a slave to someone. But the Apostle Paul and all the apostles took that as a badge of honor. As a matter of fact, you don't find when they write their letters they aren't big about promoting themselves. And when they do speak of themselves, it's generally in, I'm a servant, and I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm his bondservant, and I am there to serve as the Lord serves, because we're under shepherds. He's the example, and we're to serve him. And I want to remind you that the Lord, who is the master, came to be a servant to all. He yielded his life for the good of his people, and for the honor of his father. And there was in that. So he wants to remind you, I'm calling upon you that I've given my life 
for the betterment of the church. And, and the church could see that this was more than just words. They saw a consistency in the life of the Apostle Paul's patient labor, even under difficult circumstances. And even when people didn't understand things, we see the loving patience of the Apostle Paul as he constantly was laboring with the people of God for the purpose of building them up in the faith. Indeed, the Apostle Paul understood the importance of his role as a minister. He didn't see his role as, I've got an agenda that I've laid out for me. Paul had had it when he was Saul of Tarsus. He had an agenda, didn't he? He was very ambitious. He was wanting to get ahead. He wanted to make a name for himself, and he wanted to become an important personage in Jewish history. He wanted to make his mark, as it were. And in that, he became so blinded in pursuing his agenda that in thinking that he was serving God, now this is how dangerous that we are, why we've got to have a spirit of unity rest with our being united with God and wanting his agenda, is that he got so blinded in his own agenda that he even thought that he was doing God's service when he was out there slaughtering God's people. Now, that's a very terrible thing. He was out there bringing, by his actions and by his behavior, bringing harm to the very ones that Jesus Christ had died for. And that's in a serious affront. As a matter of fact, Jesus took it very seriously because when he met Saul of Tarsus on the road of Damascus, he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? He took it very personal and says, why do you persecute me? So I want to remind you that if we're going to be united, first we've got to be united with the one who's called us out of darkness into light, into his kingdom. And I want to remind you, the church doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to any minister. It didn't belong to the Apostle Paul. There's only one person who paid the price for his church, and that was Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave his life for the church. It belongs to the church. How we treat the church, how we labor for the church, is reflected in our attitude of what do we think of Christ and that which belongs to Christ. And so part of this unity and idea of unity gets involved in our personal relationship with the one who is the head of the church. Paul understood this. He understood as he went to labor. He was laboring as a servant of Jesus Christ. He wasn't there to come up with his own plan. He wasn't there to come up with his own agenda. He wasn't there to put down what Paul wanted. He was there to serve in the way that the Master did. And after all, did not Jesus Christ set the example? Because unity goes back to the Godhead itself. Is there a division among the Godhead? Is Jesus against the Father and the will of the Father? Jesus says, no, I came down not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And what was the will of the Father? I want you to go down there and you're going to suffer a horrible death and you're going to suffer the guilt and consequences of my people. And you're going to experience a horrible death. 
And I'm going to pour out upon you the fierceness of my wrath for other people's sins. The unity in that is Jesus said, okay, I'll do it. And when he came over and over again, one of the things that he would point out to the Jewish people is the Father and I are one. We're united. And that's more than just uh, we're the same. I'm God in the flesh, but the purposes, the goals, and the directions. And that would be expressed. I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And the basis of being a united people is when we, and even in our relationship with God, we experience no unity with God until we surrender our wills to His. And that we're looking, what is your will for us? Not what is what do I want you to do for me, but Father, what is your will for me? What is the direction you want me to go? That we're seeking diligently, lead, guide us according to your word. And uh, Paul understood that. He surrendered that and he understood the importance of that. He saw in the Jesus Christ and his willingness to come into the world, how that he showed his unity with the Father by coming and not establishing his own agenda, even when people there in the 6th chapter of John tried to come and make him king. He wasn't willing to do that because he knew that wasn't within the purpose of the Father. He, he was the king, but his life was to come and to surrender his life, to, to be obedient unto death. And as a result of that, I want you to see in the blessing that was given as a result of Jesus' total surrender, Paul would write in the book of Philippians that God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. So there are blessings that come upon us, even upon the Son, in his total surrender to the will and purpose of God for his life. And look at what he accomplished for all of us in doing that. But then we have the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and have its own agenda. But he is sent, the Spirit is sent by the Father and Son to make application of what the Father and Son have done for us. And they're united. They don't work against one another. There's no such thing as you following the Spirit when your Spirit is leading you contrary to the will of God. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead you contrary to the will of God. The Holy Spirit isn't going to lead a believer to marry an unbeliever. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to embrace false doctrines and false teachings. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And when we surrender that and we're searching searching for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we're surrendering to thus and the Holy Spirit isn't going to lead you contrary to the will of God. And when it's being done and you surrender to that, then you are in unity with that purpose of God and God blesses. Paul understood that. He wanted to be like the master. He wants to surrender his life to the master. He doesn't want to establish an agenda of his own. He doesn't want to establish an apostolic agenda. He doesn't want to establish a Pauline agenda. He wants to establish the agenda of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
And that's important because the church, if, if you don't have that same agenda, or any church doesn't have that same agenda, that church cannot make it. Now, that's just the plane of it. Because God is going to constantly, constantly be dealing with y'all because the purpose is every member, pastors, deacons, and church memberships are to be bowing down with hearts yielded to surrender to the will and purpose and direction of the Holy Spirit as He guides you in the Word. And if you can't see it plainly in the Word, then the church does not need to move or act upon what it cannot see clearly together is the will of God. It's just an impossibility. And so Paul writes to them, and not only does he write to them to be united, but if you'll go down with me in this passage a little bit, I want to remind you why God gives ministers. And I want you to look at this, and this is why I want to remind you. As you're looking for a minister, you need to look for a minister whose goal is not his own agenda, but his goal is the unity and harmony of the kingdom of God as they surrender to the word of God. And look at this. Here's here's what it says. What does he give? And he gave, he ascended up on high and he gave gifts to men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And some pastors. Now, Paul is expressing, you know, Jesus rose again. He's setting up enthroned in heaven. He's become the head of the church, which is his body. He's the Lord of all. All is to surrender to him and to his authority. All are to be seeking and praying desperately. What is it that you want of me? What do you want of us as a church? He's up there and he doesn't leave you without direction. The whole purpose of every gift comes under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and the free gift of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if anybody cares about the church, who do you think cares the most? It's not you. It's this one who gave his life for it. He loves his church. He loves his bride. He loves you. That ought to be comforting. The Father loves you. Does he not know what your circumstances are now? He will provide. Do you trust him to provide for you? You must. So you've got to have a united heart that you're going to trust that God is going to provide and y'all hold together as the New Testament church. When, when Jesus gave them commission, he said, you know what? I want you to go over there and I want you to wait. I'm going to send out the spirit upon you to give you power to be witnesses. What did they do? They didn't go having their own thing. But brethren, you read the Acts. The high mark over and over again is that they were a united group of people. And I tell you, one of the things that will make you united is prayer. Prayer, praying together, seeking the will of God, and all hearts being there will bind y'all together. God's house is a house of prayer, and he hears the prayers of his saints. And he has it within his gift, and it's the Lord of glory to give and pour out gifts upon the church. And that's what he's reminding the church at Ephesus here. Let's remember why we're here. Let's remember why we're to strive for the unity of the body, unity of the spirit and the bond of faith. Why should we strive for unity? And so he gave some apostles in verse 11, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, 
for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The main role of every gift is to edify and build up the body of Christ. For 35 years, that has been my goal at Fellowship Church, is to build up the body of Christ, to be a united group of people. Because I find out that the more we're united, the more that we're able to face the evils of the world together, the more we're able to comfort one another, the more that we're able to understand God's Word, the more that we see the Spirit directing our church in other things. But it has to come with all of us seeking the will of this Master and understanding that the role and purpose of why I'm in the church is to build up. God's purpose is for us to build one another up in the holy faith, to encourage one another, to hold firm, not to give up, not to despair, but to turn all of our eyes upon Christ, who is our Lord, who is our King, and who leads and guides His people. Do you think He's going to forsake you? Is that what His promise is? That, hey, now that things got tough, I'm sorry, Brother John, I'm just going to forsake you. I'm going to leave you high and dry. I quit caring about you. No. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What happens when we don't feel that is when we're wanting him to bend to our will instead of us wanting to bend to his will. And so not only are we there for the maturing, that perfecting there means the maturing of the saints, maturing them in their understanding of the word of God so that they will be more than just Listen, there are orthodox people who know the Scriptures and hold to the truth of the Scriptures, but when it comes to the application in their everyday lives and living sanctified lives, brethren, the perfecting of the saints does more than just teaching the sound doctrine. It's teaching them how then with all that sound doctrine. And and Paul spent three chapters here of Ephesians Expounding doctrine. Based on sound doctrine, we have sound practice. It's the reason why we live the way we want to. But part of the perfecting of saints, brethren, what good is it to know all the doctrines of grace if we're not living lives that show the influence of that grace in it? The grace of God is powerful. It sanctifies us. As a matter of fact, God sanctifies our life through the Word of God. And so the maturing here of the saints of God is the role of the ministry. It's that they are maturing you not only in soundness of faith and knowing the doctrine, but helping you to live sanctified lives, overcoming the wickedness that is in the world, and helping you to triumph over your own sin nature. It's terrible to talk about the grace of God and live a life full of deceit and lasciviousness and having a heart that's full of adulteries. That's not what God's called us to. So that's part of the role of the ministry is to call y'all from that, along with being sound in the doctrine. For the work of ministry, that, that is so that y'all will know how to minister to one another. And for the building up of the church, that's the edifying. And how long is that supposed to happen? I want to write, this is what impressed on me. 
And I, I see so many ministers, not just among primitive Baptists, but it is really, I was talking to one of the professors of Luther Rice Seminar there in Atlanta. And, you know, to have a Doctor of Divinity degree, you have, that's a pretty extensive labor. Eight years to get that. And hopefully they hope that those ministers who have that and labor for that and work so hard for that, that you would think that when they become pastors there in the church that they'd stick to it. But here's what the sad statistics are, is that over 88% of ministries that obtain the doctrine and go to all that effort only stay pastors three to five years. And then they give up. They don't want to, they, if, if things get too difficult, they don't have the patience to stay. They don't have that. And brethren, that's hard. But I want to remind you, the thing that always convicted me was this. How long is this to go on? How long am I supposed to labor till we all come? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It seems to me that's a life work, isn't it? It's all the time. You can't have a vision for a church. A church can't have a vision for itself that they can't see themselves lasting beyond the next year. You as members, it should be a lifetime commitment. Ministers, it should be a lifetime commitment or till God clearly shows that they need to be somewhere else. But this is important. The role, because Paul considers this unity of the church is something that's going to be necessary for a lifetime and very important. So I want to remind you that this thread, this thread of unity is all through the scriptures. If you go back to Ephesians, it speaks to us about our, and we've already spoken that. First of all, we have unity with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We all like to think about that, that I'm united with God, and that's all that matters is that I'm unified with Him and that, that I'm in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? If you're united with Christ, how is that translated to your everyday life? How does it translate in your everyday life? By being a divisive individual? No. Having your own agenda and that you want to pursue that agenda above the rest of the people at all costs so that you can say, you know, this is it? Or is it that you strive lovingly faithful to be true to this king by surrendering your will to the will of the Master and to the good of the entire body of Christ. What's more important? Isn't it the health and edification of the body of Christ? Uh, that's what he's saying, right? Every one of you's got a job then. Every one of you's got a job here. Because, you know, Satan can get into you, well, I think we ought to do this, I think we ought to do that, or I think this is better. It's kind of like the upbraiding that, that uh, uh, Paul gave to the Corinthians, and he was really upset with the Corinthian brethren because of the divisions that were among them. And he upbraids them very strongly. I want you to look at what he says to them. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Boy, why? What was the underlying cause of why he couldn't speak to Christians as unto spiritual? I'm going to ask you, each one of you examine. Can a man speak to you as someone spiritual? Have you turned your ear away from listening? Have you got your own agenda? Perhaps you might have hurt feelings to where you don't listen anymore. You don't think. You don't pray about what somebody else says because you don't like it. They might challenge you. What is it? Can you be spoken to as under spiritual? This is an important matter. It should be important to you because our spirituality and our reflection of Christ does matter. Because after all, we're called Christians for a reason. It's because we're Christ-like, right? That's why it's the same. We're supposed to be. We're supposed to be Christ-like. What was the heart of Christ? I love my Father so much that I want to surrender to my Father's will, even if it's my Father's will that I humble myself, set aside my dignity, set aside my honor, Set aside all of that, and I have to come and be made like, except without sin, but he still had to come in the form of sinful flesh. I'm going to be like those who rebel against you. And I'm going to have to take, it's your purpose that I take upon myself their guilt when I'm innocent. I'm the beloved son in whom you're well pleased. But you know why he was well pleased? Is because Christ surrendered His will to the will of the Father. That's the unity. So part of being a spiritual person is, is your will surrendered to the will of your Master? Is that what you want to do more than anything else? We have a hymn in, in the old school hymnal. Thy way not mine, O Lord, however rough it be. Is that that you want? Do you want, no matter how rough or difficult the choices might be or the decisions might be, have you got a heart that is truly spiritual or is it fleshy? Is it carnal? Is it resistant? Is it no longer humble? Is it proud? Is it haughty? Because that's, if anything, that can then disturb, that can disturb a unity of the church and the it growing and edifying is to have these hard, haughty spirits. And, and brethren, it's hard for men and women and any of us to think that perhaps that we've got to that point. But Paul just addresses it plainly and says, I want to talk to you about spiritual things, but you know what? I can't do that. And I can't talk to you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. And I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. In other words, says you haven't grown any. You have, And boy, I tell you what, have you grown as a Christian? Have you grown or are you still at the same page? I want to tell you, I'm just going to tell you, for any of us, that's sad. We're, we're to grow. We're to be growing in grace. We're supposed to be growing in the knowledge of the Lord. As a matter of fact, we're supposed to be coming more and more Christ-like. And Christ-likeness isn't promoting self in any form. So he just tells them, you know, you're carnal. What was the evidences of their carnality? Let's look at some things. 
Here's evidence of your carnality. Whereas among you is what? Envying and strife. Boy, that's pretty sad. Why do we have a reason to be envious of another person? What makes you envious of somebody else? You want their position of power. You want their influence. You want, you want to have what you want to be done upper hand instead of somebody else. That's not the spirit of Christ or Christians. It, it, it just is not. That shows that we're carnal when we envy. And then the end result of envying is, is that uh, pride gets in. And generally when pride comes up, have you ever had your pride offended? If you're honest, yeah. Have you ever had in somebody that felt like they've insulted you, your pride? It hurts, doesn't it? And boy, when pride gets a hold of you, it's hard to humble yourself down, isn't it? It's hard to humble. It's hard to admit that you are wrong. Generally, when pride gets in the way, instead of admitting you're wrong, you find justification for all the reasons you should be offended. But God doesn't ask us to find justification for offense. He tells us that even as Christ has forgiven us of our sins, what are we under obligation to do? Hold the grudge? Keep our pride? Or are we too to willingly forgive as he forgave us? What would keep someone from forgiving? Pride and justification and not seeking unity, right? So I want you to look here that he says, listen, you've got, here's how I know you're calm. You've got envying and then strife comes. And what is the end results of strife? Is it unity? Is it growing? Is it building up one another? No. You know what strife causes? Tearing down. Disharmony. Destruction. There's strife there. So that's why Paul would write, here in the fourth chapter, listen, I'm, I'm beseeching you as a prisoner of Paul and as one who's a steward of the mysteries of God. Uh, uh, that's, uh, excuse me, I'm reading the fourth chapter of the feet, uh, first Corinthians. Uh, I beseech you as the prisoner of God that you walk worthy of the vocation with which you are called. God has not called us to divide. God has not called us to be divisive. God has not called us to strive with one another. God has called us to surrender to Him. And He's called upon all of us to surrender to Him. He's the Lord. It's His church. We belong to Him. Our brothers and sisters belong to Him. And we better be careful how we treat one another. And we better be careful that all that we do is building up his kingdom instead of tearing down. Because there are consequences when it comes to our dividing. Big consequences. One of them is, in the county I live in, because of so many divisions among God's people, many of the churches close their doors and there's not one single Primitive Baptist Church in the county that I now live in, and all a result of divisiveness. People picking and fighting and not being willing to get along. That's sad. God has a call. That's not the witness that God has called us to give. So, look at this. Not only are you divisive, but you're carnal, and you're not walking. You're walking like natural men, not men who know the Spirit of Christ. Not men who say that, that we believe uh, that our life's mission is to honor Christ. You're walking like men who want to honor men. And here's some of the evidence. So they started saying, and I want to remind you again, 
Y'all are going through a difficult time. This is not the time for y'all to sit down and say, I'm of this person and I'm of that person. Who are you supposed to be sick? Who's the head of the church? It's not the bishop. It's not the, you know what? We're nothing but stewards. We're nothing but ministers. Though God uses us to lead the church, we're not lords over God's heritage. We're not. The church doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Christ. So look here. For while one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? Boy, two of the most prominent, most skillful ministers of the Word of God he uses. First, he uses himself. And I'm glad he uses himself because it shows humility of Paul because Paul didn't like people saying, well, I'm a follower of Brother Paul. Whatever Brother Paul, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says is what we should do and what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to do what the Apostle says. Another says, no, no. I think Apollos is more right in this area than the Apostle Paul. And I like the way the Apostle Paul, uh, Apollos teaches. He's more uh, exegetical or any, see, I can't even use big words like that. You know, he's more, he's more, uh, got his outline out, out there better than anybody else. And I like that intellectual turn that he uses. So I'm of, 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 uh, Apollos. You know, he's skilled. And not only that, he's young. Paul's a little too old. He's out of touch with the young people. But this Apollos, he's really good with the young people. And then there's that old group. Like the mellow Peter, see, Cephas. It's not about the minister. It's not about following the minister. It's about following Christ. And that's what he said. And he goes down to say, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. That's all we are. We're just, we're just utensils. I'm just a utensil. And who is to give the glory? Who's got the power? Nobody. You can't learn anything unless God granted it. So the one you should be honoring and following and concerned about is what does the Lord want from me? What is His will for me? What is the will for us as a church? Who are we going to follow? Are we willing to follow the Lord? Or are we going to feel like that we've got to follow some man? Now, that doesn't mean that we're not, we don't need a bishop or a, a shepherd to lead and guide us. But I want to tell you, it's secondary to your following the Lord. And if you're not united in that, you're not going to be united in who you follow. So, Paul abrades them. Who are we? We're just servants. We've got to understand the role of people. We're just servants. I have planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who gives the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything, uh, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. We're just labored together with God. Look at verse 9. But ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So I, that's one of the things that I want to, to, to encourage you. As you strive for what are you going to do in the future? That you're not looking, I'm going to follow this man's agenda, that man's agenda. You're going to get together as a group of people and you're going to pray and your prayer is going to be and your heart's going to be as Lord show us what your will is and that you patiently strive together and you do nothing until you are in agreement with what is the purpose and will of God. That might seem too simple, but that's what you ought to do. If you're not willing to do that, you won't make it under anybody. 
under any way, under any circumstance. Every church has to do that. I'm constantly reminding me after 35 years of labor, still reminding the church I pastor, it is not mine. It's not yours. It's his. And we can't make it together unless we're united with him. Oh, but I'm united with him. If there's division, you're not. Is there strife with one another? There's not. If there's holding hurt and grudges and not letting go and forgiving, there's not. If they're seeking my own agenda, your own agenda of what you think is best instead of what the Lord thinks best, you're not. So this is pretty, uh, it gets pretty tough because it's not, it's, it, what he gets down to it says, our entire will and being and our purpose for being is to be surrendered to the will and purpose and direction of God. And you know what? The word's very clear what a church is supposed to be engaged into. Go back to Matthew 28. It's very clear. It's, it's put forth in the, the uh, Great Commission there, what you're supposed to be engaged in doing and, and united in that. So we see that that there. I want to look at one other thing in this First Corinthians because another thing that uh, disrupts unity, go with me to the 12th chapter, that can happen. This church, man, I, I don't know too many people who wouldn't be excited about what was going on in the church Corinth. I mean, they had some great speakers. Their church coming together would make ours really look dull, you know. And it would seem like, man, what are you talking about, Paul, that we're carnal? Look at all these spiritual gifts. Look at all what we're doing in our church. Uh, look at all the great gifts we have. Surely uh, we don't need to do this. But you know what? They got caught up into uh, their gifts, and they forgot the whole purpose of gifts. The gifts, again, were for the purpose of unifying, not dividing, not promoting oneself. And he upbraids them because he says, you know, when you come, everybody feels like they've got to get up and have something to say. They all want to have an equal part. No one, no one wants to sit and listen. No one, everybody's promoting. Here's the idea. Everybody is promoting themselves to say, Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I can say. Look at my opinion. Uh, why shouldn't you be listening to me? Paul, Paul hates that. But I want to remind you, when we get like that, sometimes we get disrespectful. I want to look. All these uh, things, again, are given to us. He's to get to glory. Over and over again, there are diversities of gifts in verse 4 but the same Spirit. You look at verse 5, but look how it ends. The same Lord. Verse 6, the same God. Uh, verse 8, for one, to one is given by the Spirit, and then it ends with by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. And verse 11, but all these work at that one of the self's, uh, same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And the purpose that, of the gift, again, is for what? The edifying of the one who has the gift or for the edification and unification of God's body. And so he addresses these issues because he reminds them, lest we forget, there is one body. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles. There was no difference in the church of God. 
Whether we be bond or free, there's no difference in the church of God. We're all surrendering to the uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all being baptized in His, in his name. No matter uh, someone prayed about or spoke about all the different uh, uh, places from where you've come. It doesn't matter. You all came under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You all surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. You all make confession of Him as your Lord and that you would follow Him and that you would strive together for the unity of this church. That was your goal and purpose. I hope that you understood that as, as you became a follower of Christ and part of His church, that you were surrendering your life to Him and His life teaches us to surrender to one another. We cease to have a life that we could say our own. We no longer have our own life. We've been bought with a price. We belong to God. And everything we do in word or deed, we're to do it as unto Him. And we're to have a concern for His church. And He's he's saying, listen, you need to recognize that God has called y'all to be one body. He's called you to be one body. You can't say part of you. Here's here's where uh, this union comes in. We no longer need them. We don't need their advice. Or that we should have all the say-so. Listen, I would look kind of funny, wouldn't it, if all of a sudden, my, you know, as I'm trying to talk with my hand, my hand decides it's going to fly off and go over there and hit that brother in the head back there. You know what he'd do? Probably if my hand went down there and popped him across the face as hard as it could do, you wouldn't be very happy, would you? As a matter of fact, what would be your reaction? I'd be seeing a hand flying back and probably hitting me, wouldn't it? No, my hand's got to work with my body, right? Now, see, I understand what that's like because I have a hand that doesn't work because of uh, disease, because of of, uh, a brain tumor that was in my hand that has caused me to lose the strength in this hand. So I can understand it doesn't always do what I want it to do. But, brethren, as a whole, unless you're, oh, unless you're diseased, spiritually diseased with pride, spiritually diseased with self, unless you're spiritually diseased, the body works as a unit, right? And when the ladies speak, have any of you been hit on the very tip of your finger? Now, unless you're like me, which I don't have any feeling in this hand. See, I could pull out hair and it doesn't bother me at all. But generally when you pull out hair of your arm, you feel it and you go out and you go, ooh. Or when you get smashed with a, uh, have you ever had a hammer to hit your thumb? Does your whole body react? Yeah, your whole body reacts and your mouth reacts and you start yelling and you screaming and you start, and you hold it and hold it and hold it and hold it. Let me tell you, do you know that's the kind of body we're supposed to be, that we're so sensitive to the least bit of our body, that when one hurts, we're all hurting? Because we're united, right? It should be that way. And that's what he's saying. Can the foot say to the eye, I have no need of thee. And if all of you had the same gift, you know, we'd look kind of stupid. I kind of look like a, I would be from out of space if all of us up here was a big old eye, wouldn't it? That's only in our nightmares or our Disney movie. Y'all might can't say, well, he's all mouth. So. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're not. We all have our part. But it's made so that we all work together. It's important. If the church is going to give a lasting witness in the area where it's at, it's incumbent upon the church to strive for unity because the world, whether you know it or not, is looking to see if y'all have got what it takes to hold together. 
It's looking to see if y'all are going to be united. It's looking to see if y'all can humble yourselves to forgive one another for Christ's sake. Do you know that we're not even supposed to pray for forgiveness of sin unless we're willing to forgive those who forgive us? I mean, Jesus, have you ever noticed the model prayer? Forgive us our debts as we what? As we forgive others. Do you want God to forgive you, but you're unwilling to forgive others? Because let me tell you, if you've got that spirit, it's not going to be a united spirit. Because even as Christ forgives us, so are we to forgive others. Why? Because our Lord and Master that we say that we love and that we want to follow demands that we follow Him. And I want to ask you, are you thankful that Christ has forgiven you of all sins? Has anyone ever done anything to you that was more painful than what your sins did to the honor and glory and integrity of our Heavenly Father? not even in the least comparison to what I've done to my master. And my master tells me to have a heart that has mercy so that I can be a person that can build up the kingdom of God because it's not important about me and my pride. It's important about me being like the master who got down at sinful men. Men, have you ever thought about this? And, and this deals with unity because on that night before Christ died, the apostles were uh, talking about the things that Jesus said, and I know it's getting time, so I'll quit. But I want to get this point out. The apostles were sitting there knowing that Jesus was, had told them before that he was at Jerusalem for the very purpose of being delivered into the hands of wicked men and crucified. You know what they spent their time doing? Or once he's gone, he's going to take over. Do you know how Jesus dealt with that? He dealt with it by he who is the master of glory, knowing that in a few hours, Peter was going to deny him three times, knowing that every one of the apostles would run and not stand by him. He got down at their feet and washed them and showed the way that we're to follow and treat one another. Unity is important. It is not a suggestion, by the way. Look again how Peter commands. I beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation wherewith ye are called. You are called to follow the Master. And look, look at the things that we know about Jesus, who was lowly, meek, long-suffering, and he was forbearing. Look at that. All these characteristics of our Master, humbleness and meekness, Meekness has to do with being easy to be entreated. Are you easily to be entreated by others? Can people come and talk to you without you blowing up? Can people disagree with you without you getting mad? You know what? Over and over again, these hard-hearted apostles were challenged by what Jesus said, and they, some of the things he didn't like. As a matter of fact, Peter got bold enough to rebuke Jesus one time. Did Jesus despair of Peter, even though he gave him a stern rebuke and told him, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the kingdom of God. It was Jesus that would tell Peter that he was going to die, deny him three times. But what did he say? And I'm going to have my hand. I'm going to throw you away. Or he says, nevertheless, I have prayed for thee. Prayer is important. If you can't pray for one another and pray with one another, pride lies at the door. A unified church gets on its knees before their master and begs for a heart 
that unites under him and his leadership. He'll lead you. Are you willing to follow?